turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We are continuing in our series this morning through the book of 1 Peter, and this morning we are going to be in verses 7 through 11. So feel free to read along in your own Bibles, or you can follow along with the words on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word. Now before I begin here, I want to say that I am very aware that we are in a global pandemic right now. And I'm also aware that my text begins with a statement, the end of all things is at hand. And uh, we did not plan this. Um, This is not a COVID-19 message. It is just the next section in the book of 1 Peter. So I just, I want to say that up front. And uh, also, this is not going to be a message that focuses on the end times or, or spends a lot of time talking about the events leading up to Jesus's return. At, at some point in the future, we would love to spend extended time talking about these things. But this morning, there's a lot else that I want to get into from this text. And I'm actually really excited that we are in this text the week after Easter. We were last year kind of in this series going through Mark, and we spent a lot of time talking about the life and the death of Christ and what that accomplished for us. And then last week for Easter, we talked about the resurrection of Christ and the victory that that won over death and sin. And and now this morning, we're going to consider the reality that Christ has not only died for our sins, he's not only been raised to new life, he not only right now reigns over all things, but also he is going to return. And Peter very much wants us to live life with this acute awareness that Jesus is coming back one day. And Peter wants us to to live in a certain way in light of that truth. So the, the main idea I think Peter is getting at here is this. Jesus is coming back one day, so live with purpose on this day. Jesus is coming back one day, so live with purpose on this day. And we're going to examine this main idea by looking at four points. First, we're going to see that we are called to live with eternity in mind. Second, we are called to be alert and prayerful. Third, we are called to love one another earnestly. And then lastly, we are to do all for the glory of God. So point one, live with eternity in mind. I have, I've always kind of had an interest in uh, 
apocalyptic kind of end of the, the world movie genre. Um, the most of the movies I've seen have been borderline ridiculous, but, but still they've always kind of interested me. And one thing that is intriguing to me is, is how people respond in these movies to the crazy events happening around them. And, and one thing that is always true in these, in these end of the world movies is people respond in extreme ways. Kind of in, in alien invasion movies, you have people who move underground and they, they form these makeshift armies to fight back. Or in, in asteroid movies, they, they send astronauts to space and they plant atomic bombs on asteroids and blow them up before they reach the Earth. You know, crazy things like this. But, but extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures, right? Um, and now we come to Peter's statement here in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. This is a, a pretty ominous statement, right? And so uh, in a moment, I'm, I'm going to speak briefly to what I think Peter means by this statement. But, but when you hear somebody say, the end of all things is at hand, the, the next thing that you'd probably expect to hear them say would be something like, start panicking. You know, stock up on, uh, on food and weapons and, and thousands of rolls of toilet paper. Um, you, know, you know, institute martial law. You know, but, but that is not how Peter continues in the next verse. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. So pray and love one another. And at first glance, this seems like kind of a, a strange thing to say, right? It, it feels almost kind of anticlimactic. You know, the end of all things is at hand. So spend time in prayer and love one another. And this, is, this is not exactly the, the epic response that you would expect after such a statement. And so, so to make sense of this statement, let's, let's consider what exactly Peter means when he says the, the end of all things is at hand. I think that what he's saying here is that, is that if you look back throughout all of Scripture, you, you see for thousands of years, God's people have been looking forward to this coming Messiah who is going to redeem God's people. And this Messiah is Jesus. We see that in the New Testament. He has come. He has lived the perfect life. He has died on the cross for our sins. He has risen from the dead. and He has accomplished our redemption. But... The, the story of redemption is not yet fully complete. Jesus is coming back. And when he does so, he's going to judge the living and the dead and bring his people home to glory. Christ has, has set in motion the final days. And that this, this doesn't mean that Jesus or Peter necessarily thought that Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. In fact, in other writings of Peter, it probably suggests that Peter did not think this. And, and there are lots of different views that Christians have on the end times. Some would hold that, that everything that Scripture says needs to happen before Christ's return has already happened. Other Christians would hold that there, there are still events that need to take place before his return. And, uh, and I'm not going to get into all that now because that's, that's not really what Peter is getting at here. This is not an, an in-depth argument about the events leading up to the final days. I think Peter is simply saying that Christ is coming back. It could be soon. Life is, is short. 
Eternity is on the horizon. And soon is coming the day when Christ is returning and is going to write that final chapter in the story of redemption. And the call of this passage is to remember this and to live in light of Jesus' return. Having eternity in mind should, should motivate us to action. The, the, the brevity of life, the, the imminence of Christ's return should cause us to, to want to make life count in life as we wait that final day. And there's a, there's a right way to do this, and there's a, also, I think, a, a wrong way to do this. You know, what Peter doesn't say is that Jesus is coming back, uh, eternity is on the horizon, so, so forget this world. He didn't say head for the hills or bunker down, abandon your responsibilities in this life and just kind of await out your final days until Christ comes back. Nor as you say, spend a lot of time trying to figure out when Christ is coming back. We're not to, we're not to obsess over the end times or spend lots of time on, on YouTube with videos talking about who the Antichrist could be. We aren't to, to read into recent events trying to set a a date for Christ's return. Instead, Peter calls us to maximize our time on this earth for the good of others and for the glory of God. In order to do that, he calls us to two simple things, prayer and love. So I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking these two things, prayer and love. So this leads us to point two, be alert and prayerful. Verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. As we come to this section here on prayer, uh, we see that Peter is making this connection between the fact that Christ is coming back one day and the need for our active prayer life. Um, and now to understand this connection, I want us to, I want us to take a look back at a story in the life of Peter. And the story takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the, the night that Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. And things were about to take a dramatic turn for him and his disciples. And so Jesus had gathered them all together. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus says to Peter, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus knew that things were about to get really serious. He was going to be betrayed and ultimately crucified. And then it was going to become extremely dangerous to be a Christian. You You could be killed for claiming to be a follower of Jesus. But not only this, three days later, Jesus was going to rise from the dead. The Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on God's people. The the church was going to be formed. And this great commission was going to be given to all of Jesus' disciples to go throughout the world, all throughout the cities, and proclaim the message of the gospel. So basically, Jesus is saying to Peter, everything is about to change. Your whole world is about to be turned upside down. And your true mission in life is about to begin. But it's going to be really dangerous. So I need you to stay awake, be alert, be sober-minded, pray for strength. But we know from the story 
that Peter did not stay awake. He didn't pray. Instead, he slept. And Jesus was arrested. And Peter ended up running away like the rest of the disciples did. And he even ended up denying that he even knew who Jesus was. And, and I imagine that those words of Jesus to Peter, be alert and pray, they, they probably haunted Peter for those three days that Christ was in the grave. But we know that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus rose from the grave, and by God's grace, Peter was redeemed, and he was equipped to lead the church in the Great Commission. And now, Peter is writing this letter to us, and I think he probably had those words of Jesus in mind when he wrote verse 7. He's pointing out that we are living in the same last days that Jesus ushered in. He's calling us to be alert, to be sober-minded, to pray. Because the mission that we have is the same mission that Peter had. We are called to follow Jesus. We are called to carry out the Great Commission. We are called to live lives of holiness. But just like in Peter's day, we face difficulties. That's why in 2 Peter chapter 3, God's word says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And Mark 14 38 Watch and pray. This is the same type of words that Peter uses. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming back. In these final days, God is saying there are going to be things that would, that would seek to pull you away from following Jesus. Life is filled with troubles and temptations. There will be many sorrows in this life that will cause us to to doubt God's goodness or to grow weak and and, and to drift away from him. Those sorrows may be wrong that have been done against us. They may just be the the effects of living in this fallen world or, or, or viruses that sweep across our country and take away family members or jobs or freedom and produce anxiety and weariness, and and dryness in our times in the word. There will also be many temptations in life. You know, there may be times where we will be be tempted to give ourselves to the things of the world, to, to sexual immorality, to substance abuse, to anger, to greed, to laziness. And, and these things can, can lead to shame and isolation and depression and distance from God. We, we all experience these things. This should, this should not take us by surprise because God says that these are the types of things that we will face in the last days. And this is why Peter calls us to pray. Redeemer Fellowship, we need God's help. We must be sober-minded. We must be alert Meaning we must be aware of the world that we live in and and the the dangers around us and and be serious about going to God and asking for his strength. Because Jesus is coming back and and, and we don't want to be a church that is found to have drifted from him. We want to be a church who is found to be holy, who is walking in righteousness, who is carrying out the mission of the church so we can hear those words of Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servants. So let this affect your prayers. You know, I, I think our prayers might look different if we lived 
in the awareness that Jesus is coming back one day, that eternity is on the horizon. This should encourage us to pray big prayers, to ask God to help us to fight to live lives of holiness and to fight against sin that creeps back into our lives again and again. Or to ask God to help us to find life and joy, real joy in our times in his word and prayer. We should, be, we should be in prayer and asking God to, to give us strength and boldness and courage to proclaim the message of the gospel to those around us. Pray for these things, church, and pray these things for each other because we need each other. And this leads us to our third point, which is to love one another earnestly. We move on from verse 7 to verse 8, which begins with a statement, above all, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Now, anytime you hear a phrase in scripture like above all, uh, it's important that we pause and we take notice. Because when God says, do this above all, what he's saying is that this is of highest priority. Uh, back Back when I was in school, and back when going to school was a thing that people did, or going anywhere was a thing that people did. Man, I miss those days. Um, but, but back when I was in school, uh, we used to have tests. And sometimes before these tests, the professors would hold these review sessions. And uh, they, so they'd be going through the material we'd been in this past month. And every once in a while, they would pause and they would say, you, know, you may want to remember this. You may want to write that down. It's kind of this, this hint at, for sure, this is going to be on the test. Uh, now, there's no test here, but, but if, if Peter were writing, he's writing this letter to us, and I think that if, if he were going to give us a quiz at the end of this passage, I think he's giving us a hint here as to what would definitely be on that quiz. He's saying, high priority here, love one another. Now, to understand why this is so important, let's, let's recap so far where we've been at in this passage. We determined that the end of all things is at hand, Christ is going to return. We are to be expectant of that return. And we are to live in awareness that we need help if we're going to follow Jesus and carry out the mission of the church. Because there are things in this life that would seek to chip away at our resolve to do so and to, and to wreak havoc on the church. When God calls us, and, and then God calls us to pray and to look for him to strength. But then he says, Above all, love one another. Build one another up. Serve one another. Invest into each other's lives. Because in these, in these days, we will not make it on our own. We need each other. And the rest of this passage is a description of, of what love looks like within the church. There, there are lots of places in Scripture that, that talk about what what love looks like in general for people around us. But, but this passage, this is a, a specific and special call to us to redeem our fellowship, to love one another within the body of Christ. And, and I, see, I see three things mentioned here. First, I see that there's a call to be a people that forgive. Verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Now, the word forgiveness is not, is not used here in the text, but, it, but it's what it's talking about, right? You know, our love must be the type of love that allows us to endure in fellowship in spite of the fact that we sin against each other. Uh, you know, this means that we must, be, we must be willing to overlook offenses. We must be willing to endure wrong done against us, to allow love to cover up sins. Now, it certainly does not mean that we are just to let all sins go addressed. There, there are times when it's right and it's good to confront one another with sin. But I think what he means here is that we ought to posture ourselves to be a people who are, who are quick to show grace to each other, quick to let little offenses slide, quick to let little uh, uh, misunderstandings go, quick to be gracious when people don't treat us the way that we wish that they would treat us. And and we must do this often for each other. You know, Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. That means there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to do this. You know, if, if, if Satan wanted to, to stop the mission of the church, what better way than to begin to chip away at the love and affection of brothers and sisters in Christ, of, of, of marriages within the church, of members within the same church? That's why we need to be praying that God would allow us to cover a multitude of sins. Now, I think there's, there's good application for us today, right now, in this, during this pandemic, when we're, we're all stuck at home with our families or our roommates. And hopefully there's, there's good that's coming out of this. Hopefully there's sweet times that are coming out of this. But also, we aren't really used to this, right? And there's, I think there's potential for us to get on each other's nerves, to grow frustrated with each other when we can't escape each other by even going outside of our homes. Um, so let's be praying during this time that God would allow us to let love cover a multitude of sins. Second way that I think we can love one another is to show hospitality to one another. When Peter calls us to show hospitality to one another, what he means is we are, we are called to invite each other into our homes, invite each other into our lives. Um, and now it's a little unfortunate I'm giving this message during a time where we literally are not allowed to invite people into our homes. So I felt a little awkward preparing this message for that reason. Uh, but this is all for a season, right? The time is coming again when we can once again open our homes to each other. So, so I'm still going to speak to this. And there is, there is still application for us in this today. Uh, but the, the call to hospitality is it's so important because when we invite each other into our homes, we are sharing with them what is most important to us. We're sharing with them our family, our money, our time, our, our, our privacy, our resources. You know, because your, your home is your, is your personal space. It's where family comes together. And so to invite someone into your home is to say in that moment, I am willing to consider you family to me. And I'm, I'm sure we can all think of people in our lives who do this really, really well. You know, like the, the, that single person or, or, that, or that family that's always willing to have you over to their house. And, and when you're there, you don't feel like an inconvenience. Instead, you, you feel like family. And, and aren't these wonderful places to be in? Uh, I'm so grateful that there are people in our church who excel at this type of thing. 
I think of people like, like the Tolls who, who, before this pandemic started, were, were inviting people over from their neighborhood to their house. Um, they were hosting block parties. They were, they were basically uniting their entire neighborhood together, doing this so well. And I, I think of people like, like Ashley Shorey, who's, who's probably one of the best hosts that I've ever met and, and who probably quite literally has, has shown hospitality to every single person in our church on multiple occasions. Yeah, I think of people who, who host our fellowship groups. You know, I know that right now we're not meeting in homes, but I would encourage you to be thankful to people like the Petites or the Smiths or the Nodges or the Rudys or the Richardsons people who have week after week invited us into their homes for fellowship group. And I cannot wait for the day that we can be back in their homes again. But friends, the the call is, is not just to people who feel particularly good at hospitality. The call is to all of us because we are all the family of God. And so we are all called to, to find ways to treat each other as family by showing hospitality. You, you might be an introvert or you might not feel like you're, you're great at conversation. You might not have a lot of money to have expensive food or, or your house might not be the cleanest. But, but what is far more important than any of these things is the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. And the goal of our lives right now is to build each other up, to invest into each other's lives in preparation for that day and to use whatever means we have available to us. We are all called to this. But this can be hard, right? Uh, which, is, which is why I think Peter throws in this comment that, that we are to show hospitality without grumbling. It, it is a sacrifice to show hospitality, right? It, it adds pressure to already busy weeks. It takes energy to engage in conversations. You always have those guests that maybe stay a little bit too long. Uh, but, but this is what family does, right? And, and now, now, how do we apply this during a pandemic? Because just to be clear, what I'm not suggesting is you all go and invite lots of people into your homes today. Please do not do that. This might be the only time you ever hear me say, please don't do what this passage is calling you to do, at least, at least not right now. But the time is coming when we will be allowed to do that again. And I hope that this text is stirring up within you a desire for this. Start planning for this. Think how you might do that in this coming year because we are all going to need that when this is all over. But in the meantime, let's continue to press in to fellowship. Let's not let this quarantine keep us from engaging with one another and investing into each other and inviting each other into our lives. The call here really is to have meaningful fellowship with one another. We're just in a time where we have to get creative as we think through that. So maybe that's having regular FaceTime with friends or, or having a, a Zoom dinner meeting with another family or, or gathering a few people together to take a walk in a park and just be intentional in your conversation. Uh, fellowship right now uh, is complicated, but let's get creative and continue in it. And meaningful fellowship is, is so important because it's what really helps us to become family to each other. And it's then that we can really know how to serve each other. And this brings us to uh, the third way that we can love one another. And that's to use your gifts 
to serve each other. Verse 10 says that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When Peter's talking about gifts here, he's talking about the spiritual gifts. And we've, we've talked about this as a church before. Spiritual gifts are just ways that God has equipped us or empowered us individually um, to build up the church. And in verse 11, we see that there, there are two different types of gifts that Peter is talking about. There are speaking gifts, so things like evangelism or just that gift of really being able to encourage somebody or, or the gift of prophecy. And there are serving gifts as well, things like, like love for volunteering or, um, or, or having the gift of administration or a particular ambition and effectiveness at using your finances to bless those around you. God has equipped all of us with various gifts. So if you are a Christian, you have been given spiritual gifts. And if you are a a member of Redeemer Fellowship, you are called by God to ask, what are those gifts and how might I use those gifts to build up the body of Christ? And, And that is just as true now during this pandemic as it is during normal times. One of my prayers has been that these these long weeks of social distancing will not keep us from using our gifts to serve each other. If you have the gift of service, consider joining us this week as we team up with other churches to provide food for those in need. If you have the gift of encouragement, consider mailing notes to members of your fellowship group, encouraging them, building them up. If you have the gift of prophecy, and you feel like the Lord might have a word for the church, let Joel or I know about this. And we would, we would love to find a way to, to use your gifts during this time. And above all, let's continue to love one another. I think that these three ways that we are called to love one another is such a, a beautiful and complete picture of the life of the body of Christ together. First, we are called to be a forgiving people because we are sinners and we're going we're to hurt each other. And these things could pull us apart as a church. So we're to forgive. Let love cover a multitude of sins. Secondly, we're to show hospitality to each other. We are to invite each other into our lives to really grow together as a family. And then third, once we have opened our lives to each other we're, and we know each other, we're called to invest, to build each other up, to strengthen one another. And what, what a beautiful picture of what Christ calls the church to do. Uh, really, I, I think Peter is just saying here, Jesus is coming back one day, so live as the church is called to live. But we know these things are hard, right? So, so we do not rely upon ourselves for the strength to do these things. That's why Peter says in verse 11 that we should do all these things by the strength that God supplies. Serving in God's strength means that we recognize that God is the one who supplies all that we need to do these things. What it doesn't mean is that we we wait to feel some particular empowerment before we begin to love one another. It means we have already been given that power. We've been given the heart and the mind of Christ. We have been equipped with the spirit of God. We are empowered to love one another because Christ is at work in us. And this leads us to our fourth point, which is to do all for the glory of God. 
And this last point here, it's not really a full point. It's really just closing remarks here. But Peter concludes this section in verse 11 by saying that, that our ambition in all these things is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean that we are to glorify God in these things? Um, it's not that God somehow lacks glory now or that we somehow make him to be more glorious. No, he is already glorious. That's why in verse 11, it ends by declaring, to him belong, meaning right now, currently, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he already has the glory, church. He has dominion over all things. All things belong to him. But what we can do is we can put God's glory on display in our own lives when we depend upon him to do, for the strength to do these things. We can glorify him when we forgive others as he has forgiven us. We can glorify him when we point others toward him, when we encourage others towards him. He's glorified when we invest in the church, the bride of Christ, and build it up into the likeness of our Savior. I love how verse 11 says that we glorify God through Jesus Christ. Because it's only by the blood of Christ that we have access to God. And we have the right to ask him for strength in these things. It's only by the redeeming work of Christ that we have been given the Holy Spirit and are empowered to walk in these ways. To him belong all the glory and from him is our strength to love one another as we wait for that final day when Christ is coming again.